Welcome once again to Robert Nauer Unfiltered. This is episode 20 of season 2. In this particular episode, I'm going to be talking about the slaughter of sperm whales in the Indian Ocean by my Navy captain, XO, and ops officer. And along with that, I'm going to be talking about my involvement in whistleblowing against the U.S. Navy, not just for killing endangered species, but for a host of other things that occurred on the USS San Jose in 1983. Yes, this is all a true story. And sadly, and luckily, it's documented in the Norfolk Ledger Times newspaper and in the Washington, D.C. newspapers. It went national in 1984 when I got back from the I.O. And I blew the whistle with Jack Anderson, one of the leading muckraking reporters in the United States at the time along with Jack Dorsey of the Norfolk Ledger Star. It all began after I reported to the USS San Jose in 1983, after I had been transferred to Guam, home-ported out of Agana, Guam. And I reported aboard as the cargo officer of the USS San Jose, AFS-7. That ship today is a... Um, military sealift command ship. At the time, it was a combat cargo navy ship. Combat, keyword meaning it was weaponized. In the short time that I was aboard the USS San Jose, the commanding officer, Melvin D. Munsinger, and the XO, Victor Ackley, did a lot of crazy bad things. They were abusive as a uh, leader, uh, set a poor example for the crew to follow, and yet both of them made captain and retired. Why? Well, the answer is quite simple, because it was prior to tailhook occurring, tailhook where Paula Coughlin was sodomized and raped by a bunch of Navy officers at the Marriott Hotel in Las Vegas during the annual tailhook convention. It wasn't until after the tailhook affair occurred with Paula Coughlin, and she received a $2 million reward from Marriott for them allowing it to happen, that the Navy sort of, and I say sort of, it didn't totally, changed its ways. How? Well, in some ways, the Navy used to have very abusive, what's known as shellback initiations, or WOG Day, W-O-G, WOG Day shellback initiations for people crossing the equator. Those initiations, like the one I went through at the time, was illegal, but they still did it. In other words, they disobeyed orders from the Chief of Naval Operations not to have abusive ceremonies. I'm not going to talk at this point about the Wog Day shellback initiation ceremonies that did occur on the USS San Jose. They were illegal. Uh, they violated Navy regulations. They were, in fact, a court-martial offense for commanding officers who did it, and Melvin D. Munsinger did do it. It's in the Navy logs. It's in official shipboard Navy regulations and records and logbooks, so nobody can ever dispute that. 
Sadly, however, my time aboard was a time when we still didn't have digital media. We didn't have tiny cameras like we have today. We didn't have cell phones and iPhones. What we had were cameras that took film, and we had digital Betamax, which were huge cameras, the kind, the size that TV people use. So after we had deployed to the Indian Ocean in 1983 on our voyage, um, it was a Sunday morning. And on a Sunday morning, the ocean was as glassy as a glass table. And it was hot, about 100 degrees. I woke up in the morning at about 9 a.m. after having breakfast. I went back to my rack. Because Sunday is a day of leisure at sea, unless you're unwrapping. And I heard all of a sudden, rat-a-tat-tat-tat. Rat-a-tat-tat-tat. Pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop-pop. And I wondered to myself, what the fuck is that noise I hear? So I grabbed my shirt, put it on, ran up to the main deck of the ship. And out in the distance, I could see what looked like sperm whales flipping their tails. And I saw two round orange 55 um, drums, metal drums that were painted orange. And there were sprays of bullet that were being sprayed by the bridge. And I had not yet gone out to the main deck to see who was up on the bridge firing these weapons at these orange drums. But when I did, it was the captain, Melvin D. Munsinger, Richard Ackley, the XO, a lieutenant commander at the time. He is now since a retired Navy captain. The ops officer, whom I can't remember what his name was, he was a lieutenant. And believe it or not, the Navy chaplain was also there. And I noticed out, as I watched the sprays of machine gun fire, or rather M16s, which is a machine gun because it can be fired at full auto, I noticed the sprays of bullets hitting not only the orange drums, but around what appeared to be whales. So the first thing I did was I asked a sailor, I said, what the hell are those things out by the orange drums? He said, those are sperm whales, sir. And I then ran out onto the main deck, looked at the bridge to see who was up on it shooting the weapons, and I saw it was the captain, the XO, the ops officer, and the Navy chaplain. Now, the Navy chaplain was the only one that did not fire weapons at all at the sperm whales, but the other three off senior officers did. Oh, and I also forgot, Lieutenant Jones, who has since deceased of cancer, the deck officer, was also up there. All of this information I reported to the Navy Inspector General and ultimately to the newspapers when I decided to resign my commission from the Navy. But it was not the killing of the sperm whales that broke the camel's back. Nope, it was more than that. It was a collision at sea on purpose by the Navy commanding officer against a Korean fishing trawler fish uh, uh, fleet in Pusan Harbor prior to our entrance, where the captain had been alerted that there was a fishing trawler fleet ahead, dead ahead. And he said, I don't give a goddamn full steam ahead, maintain course. And the OOD said, Captain, we have to alter course. 
international rules of the road dictate that the Korean fishing fleet has precedence and priority. We must alter course. He said, if you will alter course, I will fucking court-martial you. So needless to say, our ship, the USS San Jose, steamed across a fishing fleet and killed several Korean fishermen. That was what broke the camel's back. That was the impetus for what made me blow the whistle on the U.S. Navy prior to the tailhook affair, and also to bring up the death and killing of the sperm whales, as well as destruction of over a quarter million dollars in government property by the captain, and other personnel abuses of sailors, such as during Wog Day, which was done illegally by Captain Munsinger. And it was a very abusive time. And I'm going to talk about Wog Day and that abuse that the captain did in a separate podcast. So the first thing that I did was when I got when, when our ship uh, left Diego Garcia, and this occurred with the sperm whales, I said, well, it, you know, that's it. I cannot stomach being an officer anymore and seeing all this illegal behavior go on. So I decided at that point in time I was going to get out of the Navy, resign my commission, because I knew they would come after me if I did report them. I never thought about the fact that the Navy would be so vindictive that they would come after my wife, who was also a Navy sailor back in Guam. But they did. And so I did the what I considered to be the right thing. When I got into back to Subic, I reported to the Navy Inspector General's office what had occurred on the ship, and they said, yeah, 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 we'll look into it and we'll investigate. And I was going to leave it at that. And I said, well, I want to make sure when I get back to the States that, in fact, uh, there is follow-through with this. There wasn't. So once I got back to Guam, I called the Navy Inspector General's office in Washington, D.C., and they were very reluctant to talk to me. And I asked them, had you received any reports from the IG at CTF-73 about what had gone on aboard the ship? And they said no. Well, that let me know that they had never done anything to investigate Captain Munsinger, the XO, and the ops officer, and the USS San Jose. Nor the killing of the sperm whales, nor the collision at sea which, by the way, the captain covered up by rewriting the ship's logs, which is a criminal offense. So, I said, now I do have to get out of the Navy. This is a very serious thing, and I cannot look the other way. Well, no matter what, the captain had been gunning for me from the time that I reported on board. I knew that, because he, I found out from another a couple of officers on board, that he purposely was gunning for me because I was married as an officer to an enlisted person, and he hated that. He was old school. I was also a reserve officer, not a USN regular officer. He hated that. And finally, I was a supply corps officer. He hated that. So I knew my career would probably go nowhere, so I decided to resign my commission, get out, and do the rightful thing and go and blow the whistle on the Navy, which I did. So after I got out and got off the ship, after serving 12 months in Aganya, Guam at the Naval Ship Repair Facility under Lieutenant Commander Bonifed, who, who became a very nice guy and friend of mine, um, 
I finally got transfer orders back to the States, and unfortunately my wife had to remain in Guam. I hadn't been able to get her orders off the island, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to. So I went back, I got a job at Philadelphia Defense Industrial Supply Center, and while I was there, I drove down to Washington, D.C. after making an appointment to meet with Jack Anderson and his reporters. And um, after meeting with Jack Anderson, he assigned one of his junior reporters to go with me to the Washington Navy Yard to file my formal complaint against the Navy and against Melvin D. Munsinger. And the ruse was going to be that this young male reporter was going to pretend to be my brother, Billy. And so when we met, they said, who's this? And I said, well, this is my brother, and I want him here as a representative of mine just to know that what I discussed with you all. And I had three Navy commanders and a Navy captain sitting directly across the table at the Navy Inspector General's office interviewing and questioning me with all of the allegations of killing the sperm whales, destruction of government property, collision at sea, violating international rules of the road, and also harming his enlisted people aboard the ship. So in doing that, the reporter had a recorder, and he recorded every single word that the Navy Inspector General investigators took down that I said. And when we walked out, after all was said and done, I asked him, I said, now, you are going to follow up on this and do a true investigation, are you not? Oh, yes, of course we are. Oh, yes, and they assured me. No, they didn't. I waited six more months, and there was no traction, no action. And so finally, um, I had two NIS agents come to my office at the Defense Industrial Supply Center Purchasing Office and actually threatened me. Threatened me that if I went public any further with this story against the Navy, that there would be hell to pay. Well, all that did was piss me off even more to have two NIS agents come in and threaten me for trying to do the correct thing. So at that, I said, that's it. So I called Jack Anderson's office, and I said, and I also made an appointment to go see Jack Dorsey at the Norfolk Ledger Star about the same thing I'd reported to Jack Anderson. And I did. And I drove down to Virginia Beach and spent about two hours in the Norfolk Ledger Star office telling the whole story of the investigation, the actions at sea that occurred. And I wanted the story with the Norfolk Ledger Star and the uh, Washington, D.C. newspaper for which Jack Anderson worked, along with the New York Times, to all break on the front page news at the same time. And I, it was a hard thing to do to try to coordinate that, but I was able to get all three of them to coordinate the time of release of their newspaper. They had to vet my story. So they did. And the newspaper story broke, and all hell broke loose in the Navy. It was all over the front pages in Washington, D.C., in San Diego, in Norfolk, everywhere that the Navy was, and in the Navy Times. And that is when they realized, since they couldn't get at me, that they would get at my wife. So the first thing that happened about a month after the story broke in the newspapers was that 
a Navy admiral from Comnav Marianas, Guam, sent my father a letter saying basically, since your son has decided to go public and defame the Navy, which I did not do, I told the truth, we are going to make sure he never sees his wife again. And so uh, he, they said, furthermore, there is no guarantee that she will ever be promoted or get back to the United States. That's quite a threat. So I took that threat, and I had my father send me the actual letter signed by the Admiral at Comnev Marianas, and I gave it to Jack Anderson, um, a copy anyway. And then I went, pissed off as hell, from Jack Anderson's office to Senator Proxmire, who was chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee at the time. And I waited for his chief of staff to come out and meet me, and he did. I spent over eight hours going over the beginning all the way to the end and everything that had ever transpired with my case and the Navy, and I told Senator Proxmire everything. And I showed him a copy of the letter and gave a copy of the letter to him that I got from my father. Senator Proxmire said to me, he said, Son, I want to believe your story, and I want to believe all of this. And he goes, and let me tell you, if it's true, and I will find out if it's true, I will make sure that the Navy pays for this, and I will make sure that every party involved pays for this. But he says, I will also tell you this, Lieutenant, and I was still a lieutenant in the reserves at the time. He said, if you're lying about this in any way, shape, or form, I guarantee I will fucking castrate you. I will castrate you. You will not only n never get another job anywhere, you'll never get a job in the government. You will, you, you're, you will be finished. And I said, I'm not lying, sir. He goes, I don't think that you are. He goes, but the investigation that I am going to convene congressionally will prove that to be the case. Well, you know what? Twelve months later, oh my God, it's already been two and a half years later. Twelve months later, after spending millions of dollars tracking down sailors and officers that had been on the USS San Jose, yes, my story was factual, yes, Everybody who was interviewed by the congressional investigators and took depositions said, everything Lieutenant Nauer told you is true. And, um, yeah, the captain did do all of those bad things. So Proxmire told me, he said, wait no longer. He goes, I am going to get your wife off that island, and she will be back here by day after tomorrow. He says, just wait, you're going to receive a phone call from the Chief of Naval Operations. Well, I did. The next morning, while I was at work, at the, uh, and now I had transferred from DISC Philadelphia down to the Naval Supply Center at Norfolk. I had gotten a promotion in the meantime. Now, remember, it's been almost a year, almost 18 months I had not seen my wife since I left Guam. And... She always thought, well, you must be back there having fun. And she was not having fun because they were making her life a living hell while she was in Guam. Uh, and to make matters worse is that even though she had been made Sailor of the Year for Guam and 
was the first woman, almost the first woman, I believe, in the Navy enlisted to receive her surface warfare qualifications, which were all shoe-ins for Chief Petty Officer. She would never be promoted beyond E-6. So, I get a phone call the following morning from the Vice Chief of Naval Operations, and on the phone is also the Vice Chief of the Navy Military Personnel Command, another admiral. So I was talking to two admirals at the same time on a conference call. They said, we have been ordered by the Chief of Naval Operations to get your wife sent back to the United States to you pronto. Where would you like her sent, Mr. Nower? And I said, and who am I talking to? And then, then he told me again. And I said, well, I said, I, I don't, I, where I am? He goes, well, we know you're in Norfolk. Where would you like her sent to? And I probably should have said Portsmouth, Virginia. I don't know why I didn't. But I said, um, NOB Norfolk, Naval Base, Operations Base Norfolk. And so that is where she would be ordered to from Guam. So without her knowledge, and I hadn't spoken to her, and while all this was going on, they, the admirals told me she will be back in the United States to see you in two days because that's how long it took to pack her up, put her on an aircraft, and send her back. So she went on a commercial jet from, um, she initially went on a commercial jet from Guam to Tokyo, and then from Tokyo to um, Washington State, Seattle and then from Seattle back to Norfolk. It took a full two days to get her back. When they came to see her at the office, they had military police, not arrest her, but just basically, please come with us. And they took her over to Navy housing, which she was still living in, even though she was enlisted. But it was still my house that I was responsible for. And they said, we're packing you up today, all of your goods, all of your dog, all of your furniture, anything you own, and you need to be out of here tonight, and we're going to put you on a plane tomorrow morning. They packed her up that fast. Now, yeah, a lot of the stuff came back, household goods broken when we got it back in Norfolk, but that wasn't the issue. We just wanted to get her back with me. So when she got back, she did not have any clothes. It was wintertime in Norfolk, Virginia, and she had come in <laughs> Hawaiian-style clothing, very light, and she didn't have any. So I immediately had to take her out shopping to get her winter clothes for Norfolk. And it was finally great. But Senator Proxmire and Doug Waller, who was his chief of staff, they kept their word. They did what they said they were going to do. They investigated Captain Munsinger for his alleged crimes, and they did prove. And that is why, being prior to the tailhook affair ever occurring, that Munsinger never made admiral, because Senator Proxmire, chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, asked to have his promotion to admiral pulled for that purpose, because of what he had been proven to have done when I was on board the ship. Remember, the Navy swept everything under the carpet, criminally and civilly, prior to the tailhook affair. The tailhook affair with Paula Coughlin changed the sensibility of the Navy to some degree. The tailhook affair changed 
the way the Navy perceived itself in the public's eyes and the image they wanted to portray to the public. And because the tailhook affair did change things, it was not yet my time. I had come to become a whistleblower against the Navy far too early. And I look back on my career, and I ask the question, did it really affect my career? And the answer to that is, no, you know what, in the long run, it didn't. I got out of the Navy, became a contracting officer, and then a senior contracting officer, and then a professor of contract management for the military and the Pentagon. And then eventually I became one of the most senior contracting officers in the government for the Department of Labor, Department of Transportation, and the Treasury. And after that, I retired and started my own D.C. consulting firm where I made more money than I made in the last 10 years working as a civil servant. So I did pretty well for myself. And my wife also, when she got out of the Navy, she retired at 36 years of age. She retired in 1996. And from that point on, she became a GS-13, making well over $100,000. So we did quite well for ourselves. So I can't complain. I was concerned what the outcome for me and her would be when I blew the whistle. But being as young as I was, I really didn't dwell on it or think about it. It could have been disastrous, but it wasn't. So all things told, we came out smelling like roses. And I've written two books about it since. One's called Murder on Steel Beach, a Navy story, and the other one is Chaos on a Cargo Ship. And I highly recommend anybody to read those books. They also come in Kindle format and in Audible, 17-hour version um, narrated by Rich Brennan. That's about $21 if you buy the Audible, which has sound effects to it. And he did a pretty good job narrating the book. So that's a true story. It's true what I did. And the thing that I want to relay to each of you listening to this is that I was raised by my grandfather to have very high integrity and to have strong ethics, something that Melvin D. Munsinger did not have, something that Victor Ackley didn't have, something that the Navy, in fact, didn't have, sadly. And to some effect, they don't have it today with the Fat Leonard scandal has proven that with over 358 military Navy officers, chiefs, and senior enlisted who have all committed felonious acts and multiple crimes uh, with Fat Leonard, that obviously the Navy still has yet to learn that it needs a higher level of integrity and honor than they have today. And so if I did anything for myself, I strengthened my level of integrity by doing the right and honorable thing to resign my commission, to leave the Navy, and to report all of the wrongdoing by the Navy to, yes, blow the whistle. That is a decision that each of you would have to make. Do you want to do the right thing? Do you believe? Are you willing to take the punishment? And there was punishment. The punishment was I no longer could be an officer, and I loved the Navy. My wife was never promoted beyond E6. She should have been a master chief. 
Sailor of the Navy, Sailor of the Year, first woman to get her SWO pin. She was harmed in order for them to get at me. But I have great people to thank, Jack Anderson and his reporting staff, and probably the most honorable senator that I have ever known in my life, and they don't make anybody like that anymore, and that was Senator William Proxmire of Wisconsin. What a guy. He kept his word. He did what he said he was going to do. He convened a congressional investigation, and he found out the truth, and he kept that commanding officer that I served under from ever making admiral. He would have made admiral if I had not blown the whistle on him. So if that's the only satisfaction that I can get as a former Navy officer is that that commanding officer did not make admiral, well, that's good enough for me. And with that, Robert Nauer unfiltered out of here.